This podcast is a presentation of Sunset Presbyterian Church. For more information, log on to our website at www.sunsetpres.org. Well, uh, last week we started a brand new sermon series called Following Jesus. And we live in a unique culture, in a unique time when people follow other people. They follow other people on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter. Uh, And so we thought in this time and in this context that we would spend an extended period of time following not just any person, but following Jesus Christ. And we're following him specifically through the Gospel of Mark. And the Gospel of Mark is a very visual gospel. And because of that, I encouraged all of us last week to create art throughout this series. I encourage especially the kids to draw while I'm preaching and we're preaching uh, because every passage has some images connected to it. And so um, we've put, if you look in your, the back of your seats, we have a little uh, box of coloring pencils. And we have um, <laughs> some paper here. Now, just so you don't get all intimidated, we're not, we didn't bring out the five-by-five-foot canvas. We're starting small. Uh, we're going to take some baby steps. But, you know, I love having the kids in this service. Uh, last week, I encouraged the kids to draw. And right away after the service, I got two drawings, one from Sarah, one from Ben Porter. And Ben basically, <laughs> w- what's so funny about that? That wasn't even a joke. What? So right away... So Ben's mom said, sorry, not Ben Porter. Oh, that's what's funny. That's what's funny. Okay, it's Clark Porter. Ben's his father. Okay. Thanks for your grace, everybody, laughing at me, trying to get to know everyone. Okay, so anyway, Clark Porter, the son, um, his mom said, why don't you draw this, the beginning? I don't know if you can go back to that slide, but basically he drew this. I just thought it was brilliant. He drew this picture of a circle, but it wasn't complete. It was the beginning of that circle with all these lines that were moving us forward as it was the beginning of this sermon series. Anyway, I just love that. So speaking of a visual gospel, I want to begin this sermon series by showing a video of the Gospel of Mark from the Bible Project. Has anyone heard of the Bible Project? Yeah, it's awesome. It it is really so exciting to be in the city of Portland with this group here. Um, So for those who don't know, it's an animation studio, and their mission, as it says, is to show how the Bible is a unified story that leads to Jesus. And so they, they create these videos that help give a synopsis of each of the books of the Bible, and it really helps as you read the scriptures. So I want you to look on the screen, and we're just going to begin this whole series by watching just a five-minute video about the Gospel of Mark. The Gospel of Mark is a book in the Bible about the life of Jesus, and the earliest reliable tradition tells us that it was written by a guy named John Mark. Now, Mark didn't just grab a bunch of random stories about Jesus and throw them together. He's designed this book to address some really specific questions about whether or not Jesus was the Jewish Messiah. So let's stop right there, because that's a term a lot of people like me aren't very familiar with. Yeah, so the Messiah was a royal figure, sometimes called the Son of God, that Israel was expecting to come and set up a kingdom here on earth. 
And around the time of Jesus, Israel was occupied by Rome, and so many Jews were hoping that the Messiah would come and overthrow the Romans and rule as king. But Jesus didn't overthrow the Romans. In fact, he was killed by them. And that brings us to the very issues Mark is trying to get at in this book. So in the first half, he focuses on who Jesus is. Is he really the Messiah? And then in the second half, he's addressing how Jesus became the Messianic king. And then right here in the middle of the book is this pivotal story that brings the two halves together, and Jesus answers both of these questions. Okay, so let's talk about the first half of the book, who Jesus is. So Mark makes his beliefs about Jesus very clear from the first line of the book. The beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. One of the next stories is Jesus getting baptized and God's voice announces from heaven, this is my son. So it couldn't be more clear. It's presenting Jesus as the Messiah. Yes, but... As you're reading through this first half of Mark, you'll notice something really interesting start to happen. Jesus is going about healing all these different people, and he's constantly telling them to keep quiet about who he is. This happens so many times in Mark's account. It's very strange. Yeah, why keep it a secret? So remember, lots of Jews had lots of different expectations about what the Messiah would be and do. And so Jesus doesn't want people to misunderstand what it means for him to be Israel's Messiah. And so with all that in mind, we come now to the pivotal story at the center of the book where Jesus takes his disciples away and he asks them, who do you all say that I am? And Peter says what everyone's been saying. You're the Messiah, the Son of God. But then something new happens because Jesus starts explaining to them how he's going to become the Messianic king. And it is not what they expected. He says he's going to suffer and die and rule by becoming a servant. Or in his words, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to become a servant and to give his life as a ransom for many. Peter is startled by this and he rebukes Jesus because there's no way he's going to let Jesus die. And Jesus responds, get behind me, Satan, which is really intense. It really is. But it highlights how important it is for Jesus that his disciples come to understand who he really is. And so here now in this pivotal section, Jesus tries three different times to have this conversation with them. And every time they respond in confusion and even fear. Okay, so this launches us into the second half of the book, where Mark addresses the question of how Jesus becomes the Messianic King. It's the last week of Jesus's life. He goes to Jerusalem, gets in conflict with the religious leaders, and gets arrested. And he's put on trial as someone who's claiming to be the king of the Jews. He's even given a crown and a purple robe like a king would get, but it is all a cruel joke. Then he's mocked and beaten and hung up on a cross where he dies. And it's here in this crucial scene that we meet a new character. A Roman soldier. Who suddenly gets everything that's going on. He says, surely this is the son of God. Which is crazy. It's an enemy who's first putting it all together that Israel's messianic king is the crucified Jesus. That's the structure of the book of Mark. But the book doesn't end with Jesus dead on the cross. No. So on the third day, some women go to visit Jesus' tomb, only to find that it's empty. And then there's this angel standing there, instructing them to go and tell this good news that Jesus is alive from the dead. But instead, they run away and they don't tell anyone because they're afraid. And that's how the book ends. Which is a really abrupt ending. Yeah, it's so abrupt that later scribes did add an ending that brings more closure to the story. And you'll find that story in your Bible with a little footnote that says it was added much later. But Mark's a brilliant storyteller, and he's intentionally ended this book abruptly. 
so all through the book, the disciples have been confused about Jesus' plan to give up his life, the story in the middle, and now right here at the end. It's like Mark is acknowledging just how startling this claim really is. And he wants you, the reader, to wrestle with it for yourself. Is this crucified Jesus really the Messiah that they've been waiting for? All right, did you like that video? Is that helpful? They make all kinds of wonderful videos, and uh, they also put out an app, a reading scripture app. Uh, One of my spiritual practices is to read the Bible through the year, and I use this app and just follow along uh, throughout the scripture, and then you get to see some other videos about how to read each of the books, and I encourage you to to follow along uh, with me on that. All right, the sermon transforming failure into gospel. Today we're going to look at a man who failed, and we're going to see how following Jesus transformed his failure into gospel. Now, what does it mean to fail? Uh, Let's look at some definitions about failure. So to fail, really the core essential essence of the word means to fall. But here are some definitions of failure. Uh, To fall short, so when we fail to reach a goal, like the finish line. Uh, To lose strength when our bodies fail us. To not meet an expectation, failing to meet a work expectation or school expectation. To be unsuccessful at achieving a desired goal. So if your business fails or you lose your job. To not pass is a failure. And speaking of not passing... Um, I, I just got my Oregon driver's license this week. Yeah. <laughs> Don't worry, I passed. This is not really a great illustration. But I just do want to say that um, I get to this uh, driver's education test, and the, first, the very first question I got wrong. And I just start panicking. And I'm thinking, because you, you can only miss so many. And so a few questions later, I miss another one. So I had to, like, take a deep breath. So, uh, thankfully, I passed, but I will say I got the worst grade of my entire family. So, anyway, they're pretty excited about that, especially my two boys. Okay. Another definition of fail is to leave. It's when you abandon a project or to miss, uh, to miss a goal, like in sports, to miss something. Now, I admit I have failed many times and in many ways. I fail on a daily basis. I've failed relationally. I've had work-related failures. School, I've not passed tests. Uh, Physically, after becoming a quadriplegic, my body fails me all the time. Spiritually, I daily fail to keep God's good will. I fail many times and in many ways. And isn't it true we all fail? We all fail. And when we fail, how does it make you feel? Yes! (laughs) You feel sad. You feel disappointment. And the greater the goal, the greater the desire, the higher the disappointment and the sadness is. Maybe some of us are feeling sad about a past failure. Maybe you are going through a disappointing failure right now. Or maybe you're worried that you might fail in the future. Well, I have good news for you today. Today, I'm going to introduce you to a man who failed, and we're going to see how following Jesus 
transform this failure into gospel. And we're going to see how God can transform our failures into good news as well. You with me? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, just thank you for being present. Uh, thank you for calling us here. There's no mistake that we're here. So would you please speak to us through maybe a song or words or just a smile on someone's face. Lord, would you fill us, anoint us, and empower us with your Holy Spirit that we could believe this truth that you are a God who transforms all our failures into good news stories. For your glory we pray in Jesus' name, amen. God can transform our failures into gospel stories. That's what we're going to take a look at. So first, let me introduce you to a man who failed. His name is John Mark. So let's look at Mark uh, and his failure through the lens of the scriptures. We're going to look at a number of scriptures. Don't worry. Hopefully they'll be on the screen for you to see. What do we know about Mark, the author of this gospel? First, we meet Mark in the scriptures in the book of Acts where we see where he lived in Acts 12. Uh, 12. But let me give you the context here. Um, James was just killed by Herod and Paul, Peter was put into prison. Uh, he was about to be executed. And while in prison, he has this miraculous uh, rescue. An angel comes and Peter is rescued out of jail. And so he's a bit dazed, as anyone would be in a situation like that, meeting a, an angel and getting this rescue. And so it said, the scriptures say that when this had dawned on him, that he had escaped, when he came to his senses, what's the first thing that Peter does after this rescue? He goes to Mark's house. And he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, called Mark. It was a house where many people had gathered and were praying. So here we learn a little bit about Mark. His mom's name is Mary. She's an influential woman. She, they're living in Jerusalem, we know that. It would have been a large house, big enough for many people to gather and to pray. And we know, in fact, that the early church, after the resurrection of Jesus, they would meet in Mark's house. It's the first place Peter thought of after this miraculous uh, rescue from jail. He went to Mark's house, a house of prayer. Mark's house, it was where all the action was. So the second time we meet Mark in the scriptures, we see uh, in Acts 12, 25, when Barnabas and Saul had finished their mission, they returned from Jerusalem to Antioch, taking with them John, also called Mark. So we see Mark here hanging out with Barnabas, the son of encouragement, the one who brought Paul into the ministry himself. Here's Mark walking with the pillars of the early church. The third time we meet Mark in the scriptures, we see him on a missionary journey. This is Acts 13, verse 5. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogues. And who was there with them? John. John Mark was with them as their helper. So here's Mark right on that first missionary journey with Barnabas and Paul, right in there helping them out. But then something goes wrong. You ready? The fourth time we meet Mark 
is in Acts 13, 13. And here's what it says. From Paphos, and that's uh, in Cyprus, Paul and his companions sailed to Perga and Pamphylia, which is in southern central Turkey, modern-day Turkey, where John, what does it say? Left them. John left them. And he returned back to Jerusalem. By the way, it's a notoriously difficult journey into that central Turkey at that time. So here's this man following Jesus, helping Barnabas and Paul on the first missionary journey, and Mark leaves the mission field. He fails. Why? Why did he fail? Well, we don't know exactly. I mean, maybe he, was, he got sick. That'd be a good reason to pull back, wouldn't it be? You're physically sick. It's very unlikely in this case that he was physically sick. Did he resent Paul for kind of taking over the leadership of Barnabas? Maybe he was resentful. Was that the reason? Um, was, was he afraid? It was a dangerous mission. Uh, right before he leaves, basically, uh, Paul confronts a magician and, in a very strong way and calls him the son of the devil and he's casting out demons. Maybe this isn't what Mark was expecting and he was afraid and maybe that's why he left them. Or maybe as many early New Testament scholars think, he was simply homesick. So he returns back to Jerusalem. Why'd he leave? We don't really know. But for whatever reason... Mark failed. And, yeah, surprising. <laughs> Even hanging out with Barnabas and, Mark, and, and Paul, I get you. Now, here's where the story gets even more exciting. The fifth time we meet Mark in the Scripture, in Acts 15, uh, there's a huge disagreement between Barnabas and Paul. Listen to this. Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, hey, let's go back and visit the, the brothers in all the towns where we were preaching the word of God and see how they're doing. And Paul, Barnabas wanted to take Mark, also, John also called Mark, with them. But Paul did not think it wise to take him. And why? Why did Paul not think it wise? What's the reason? Because he deserted them in Pamphylia. He deserted them and did not continue the, 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 with them in their ministry work. And it says that they had such a sharp disagreement that they literally parted company. Barnabas took Paul, sailed to Cyprus. And Paul and, uh, took Mark. Paul took Silas and left. By the way, in the Greek, it, well, it's, it wasn't like they had a disagreement over Mark. It wasn't like Paul said, uh, Barnabas says, let's take Mark. And Paul says, no, I don't think it's a good idea to take Mark. Well, you know, I disagree. Well, let's sit down and talk about this disagreement. And let's agree to disagree agreeably. How, how does that sound? <laughs> Th that does not capture the essence of the Greek language here. They're having a knockdown, blowout fight. It's a ministry split. And it was a ministry split over what? Over Mark! Whoa! 
And as far as we know, they never worked again. It was over Mark. It was a huge disagreement over Mark. This deserter, this cause of a ministry split. And by the way, it wasn't the first time that Mark uh, deserted someone. He was right there with all the disciples when in Mark 14 it says that, that everyone deserted Jesus and fled. And this young man, that's Mark's signature here, wearing nothing but a linen garment, was following Jesus. When they seized him, he fled. He fled naked, leaving even his garment. This is not the first time. He has deserted in the past. He has deserted in the present. He left the work, ministry work. He didn't finish. He was the cause of a ministry split. Mark failed. End of story. Go in peace. <laughs> On that happy note, what happens to Mark? He went into obscurity. We don't hear anything about Mark for years. Is that the end of the story? What will God do with his failure? Now let's see how following Jesus transformed his failure into gospel. So finally, Mark's name finally appears 14 years later. And we see Mark appear five more times in the scriptures. In Colossians 4.10, listen to this. My fellow uh, prisoner, Aristarchus, sends you his greetings, as does who? Paul's writing this, by the way. The cousin of Barnabas. You have received instructions about him. And if Mark comes to you, what? Whoa! This one who deserted Paul, this one who caused the ministry split, now Paul here years later saying, welcome him. Well, he doesn't just say welcome him. He calls him his fellow worker. In Philemon uh, 23, he says, my fellow prisoner in Jesus Christ sends his greetings. And so do Mark, my fellow workers. That's what Paul says about this ministry splitter. He's my ministry partner. And the good news even gets better. In 2 Timothy 4, Paul goes on to say, not just welcome him, not just he's my ministry partner. He says, go get him. Get Mark. Go out and get him and bring him with me, with you, because he is helpful in my ministry. Not just a welcome. Actively go search for Mark. I need him. He's helpful. And then the news about Mark even gets better. Listen to what the apostle Peter says about him. In 1 Peter 5, she, that is the church who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends you her greetings, and so does my son who? Mark, my son. The apostle Peter calls this man who failed his son. Mark becomes so close to Peter, he becomes his spiritual son. And that is no small thing. It's Mark who collected the teachings of Peter and gives us the gospel of Mark. That's the, the voice behind this gospel is Peter's. Now, what happened to this failure? What happened to him? He went from rejection to being welcomed. He went from leave him to bring him. He went from deserter to fellow worker. He went from ministry splitter to ministry partner. He went from obscurity to being called Peter's son. But here is the most amazing news of all. Are you holding on to your seats? <laughs> this failed missionary... This 
ministry splitter went from failure and obscurity to write the very first gospel. Mark wrote the very first gospel, the gospel on which all the other gospels are built, are worked around. Mark, this failure, writes the first gospel. Is that not amazing? Following Jesus transformed his failure into literally the gospel of Mark. That's good news. Is it? So how do we apply Mark's story of failure and transformation in our lives today? Let's take a look at that. I'm convinced that it would be good for followers of Jesus to share our failures more often. In fact, I used to go to an international uh, pastors conference where international pastors from Asia would gather together in fellowship and they would study something. And one year the leader said, uh, asked everybody, what should we study? And what I said was, I think we should sit around and share our failures. It wasn't a very popular idea, by the way. We didn't actually do it. But I, I, I thought sharing our failures and learning from one another and watching how God works, because our failures are the best teachers. It's the best class for discipleship. And watching how Jesus can transform and work in those failures um, and to see God's redemptive work in those moments. We all fail at times. Yes, groan, moan, yes. In sports, you have to. And Michael Jordan said, I failed over and over again in my life, and that's why I succeeded. It's because of those failures. We all fail at times, relationally. We all have broken relationships somewhere. Physically, not taking care of our bodies, and our bodies might fall apart. Financially, not meeting goals or overspending or whatever we do with work, not meeting expectations, school, failing grades or failing tests. Spiritually, we all fail at times. And what happens when we fail? We get sad, we feel sad and disappointed. And those feelings are natural and they're right. It's okay not to be okay. But the problem is when we let a failure event define who we are. The problem is when we let our failures define us. Uh, Zig Ziglar said this, failure is an event, not a person. That is so brilliant. Failure, can you say that with me? Failure is an event, not a person. Now, an example of a person turning their failure into a definition about themselves is Luke Skywalker from Star Wars. Anyone heard of, anyone heard of him? Okay, great. So the last Jedi movie. So here it is. I, I was watching this movie with, with my boys, and it was such a powerful scene. So Luke Skywalker, for those who aren't familiar with Star Wars, is a Jedi master here. And he's a Jedi master who failed training his Jedi apprentice named Ben Solo because Ben literally turns to the dark side. And so Luke Skywalker turned that failing event 
into a definition. He literally went into obscurity. He literally uh, fell off the face of the earth and he became depressed and became isolated. Literally, that one failing event ruined his life and he gave up. He gave up all hope. And then at one point, Yoda appears and he says, the greatest teacher failure is. By the way, if you need me to translate that into modern English, it's failure is the greatest teacher. Okay, anyway. <laughs> so brilliant. He's calling Luke to learn from his failure. That a failure is simply a lesson, an opportunity to learn and grow. And we can all fall into the same trap that Luke did. We can easily let a failure, a failure event, define who we are and ruin our lives. But hear the good news. Following Jesus can transform our failures into good news stories. If you think about it, isn't the story of the Bible a story about how God rescues us from failure? That's the main theme of the Bible. Think about it. The Bible, <laughs> creation, there's the fall, and then it's God's rescue plan after that. The Bible is how God redeems our failures. There are many, many examples of God transforming failures in Scripture. Let me just look at some of the key people in the Bible. Abraham failed many times. He calls his wife his sister, not just once. Yet God still kept his promise to bless him and to bless all people through him. Jacob failed. He, what a deceiver. He lied to his own father. His name, Jacob, means heel grabber because he was a heel grabber. And he was grabbing his father's blessing from his older brother. And yet, God still carries his blessing through Jacob. He, the, Israel's named after him. Moses failed. Moses murdered an Egyptian. Yet God gave the law that says not to murder to a former murderer named Moses. King David failed. He committed adultery with another man's wife. And then, better, he, in addition to that, he then murders that, that person's husband so that he wouldn't look bad and he could take his wife for himself. Yet God forgives him. Yet God says, David's a man after my own heart. Yet God gave David an eternal reign because God's Messiah would come right through the line of David, this adulterer, David. Peter failed. The two great witnesses of the New Testament church, Peter and Paul, they both failed. Peter denied Jesus Christ. He didn't just deny Jesus. When he denied him, he made an oath that he didn't know him. He said, I call down curses on myself that I really don't know this Jesus Christ. And yet Jesus reinstates him in the ministry and he literally calls Peter to lead the early church. Paul failed. He was a, he brutally persecuted the Christians. Yet Jesus revealed himself to Paul, to persecutor Paul. He discovered God's amazing grace and he sends Paul on the greatest missionary journey to share the good news of Jesus to the entire world, to you and to me today. In all these examples, God was at work 
turning their failures into to good news. So don't let your failures define you. Let God define you as his beloved. Hear the good news. Mark went from failure and obscurity to writing the first gospel. And he can do the same with your lives as well. Following Jesus not only can, it does transform all our failures into gospel stories. And all God's people said, Amen. Well, once a month, we have a special time of prayer and healing. And at this time, I'd like to call forward, if you're a former, current elder, uh, part of the prayer ministry, if you have gifts of intercession, if you're on staff, uh, ministry leaders, to come uh, take your seats here. And once a month, we just have an extended time where we, we offer prayer. So we're going to sing a couple songs, and during that time, we want to welcome any and all of you to come and receive prayer. Maybe there's a past failure, current one, something that you want to name and you want someone to pray into and give hope into that God can truly transform and bring good news. Or maybe you're just having a great time and things are going well and you just want to praise God with someone else. You can come for any reason to receive prayer. You know, um, one of the things that attracted Michelle and I to come and to serve and to be a part of this community is because we saw a thriving prayer ministry. Prayer was happening at the end of services. We saw people coming, and we just love it. We know the power of prayer. And so I want to invite you at this time to come and receive some prayer. Heavenly Father, we just, I just thank you that two men from this church sat in this very sanctuary yesterday for 45 minutes just praying. I want to thank you that people have walked through every, every row and touched every seat, praying for the person who would sit there. Lord, I want to thank you for all those who are praying for this time. Would you meet us? Would you fill us with your Holy Spirit? As we pray, would we experience your power to heal? In Jesus' name, amen. Day, receive the blessing. As we follow Jesus, may He transform all our failures into gospel stories. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Have a great week.